While we stand for justice, dignity, honor, and respect of the Black life, all too often, the names of Black women senselessly murdered by law enforcement are glazed over. We have a duty and a responsibility as Black women and hosts of a podcast that advocate and amplify the voices of Black women to bring awareness and shed light on the sisters who are no longer with us. We will always and forever say her name. Welcome to Melanated Conversations. Our narrative and our perspective. Here on the podcast, we are amplifying the voices of Black women and sharing their powerful stories of transformation. I'm Tyrion. And I'm Yana. Let's start the show. Welcome, welcome back to another episode of Melanated Conversations. I am your co-host, Yana. And I am your co-host, Tyrion. So again, welcome back to our show. Again, for those who, you know, listen to our previous episode, we are currently doing a mini series titled Say Her Name, which we are highlighting and amplifying the stories of other Black women that have succumbed to um, police or, or at the hands of police and law enforcement. And we're sharing, you know, their stories. And, you know, we really want to try to share who they were as humans and, you know, what they contribute to society. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in a, in, in a lot of our research and journey in, in putting together this series, Terry and I have, you know, have had a lot of difficulties in a obtaining and finding the information that really tells the fullness of the individuals, the women that we are sharing with you in this series, their stories. We're going to share what information we have and highlight a little bit about, you know, their final moments, because some people don't really, weren't really aware of what happened to them, you know, and not that we want to highlight that part of their life, but we know that that part of their story is significant, especially right now in this fight of, you know, showing that and illustrating how important it is for Black individuals, male or female, to be mm-hmm. humanized in this society. And, you know, what has caused some of the unrest that you see today um, because of these continuous stories and situations that have happened time after time with Black individuals um, Mm -hmm. and their interactions with law enforcement. Yeah. Um, As someone who enjoys the light side of the story, who really tries to find the good Personally, this pains me to um, be at this point to have to share this part of their narrative. But we know that it's important. I'm sorry if if it's hard for you to digest. Just imagine kind of what 
some of these families are experiencing even to this day, especially mm-hmm. for these cases that haven't really been brought true justice. Imagine what it feels like for Black individuals who walk on this earth day by day and the fear that they carry in their hearts and their spirits um, because of what has been demonstrated time over time. Mm -hmm. While it's hard to digest these stories, recognize that you are in a fortunate place that you can hear a story and not be the story. Mm. I I didn't mean to continue on, Terry. And so if you have anything that you want to share before I go into our first woman, uh, we'll allow you to share some of your thoughts. Yeah, sure. Um, You pretty much summed up everything I want to say. I I think the other thing that's important and I'm and and I apologize for our energy, y'all, and we and we we want to get back to gosh, I didn't use the word normal. We we want to get back to some semblance of normalcy and but we know that we are things are just there. We are we are in a dire state right now. And so we apologize if our energy is not the normal energy that Yana and I normally give, but we are black women at the end of the day. And so this this affects us. This affects everybody, really, uh, when you really truly think about it. But you know, so many so many times, I know we, we are consuming a lot of information right now via social media, news, every platform you could possibly think of. And one of the things that I had always noticed or and still am noticing, you know, is whenever people do have the conversation about the fight for justice and, you know what I mean, combating all of the the racial disparities and systematic racism and all those things, the narrative usually tends to encompass the Black man, right? And while, yes, it does, and we all, we, we, we will always and forever support our Black brothers. We, we, we are married to Black men, you know what I'm saying? Like many of us who are listening have Black sons, um, and we have fathers and uncles and cousins and brothers and all of those things. You know, the idea that we are not talking about these Black women and Black girls whose lives are being taken. It just didn't even make sense for Yana and I to say, oh, yeah, like we're going to always speak out whenever things like this happen when it's a Black man, but we just constantly, the Black women are constantly being glazed over as if this does not affect us, as if this does not affect Black women, Black girls. We have daughters and we've witnessed things, microaggressions and things of that nature. I'm not trying to go down a rabbit hole, but it just didn't make sense. If, If we're using this platform to amplify the voices of Black women, we have to make sure and due diligence to raise awareness about these other, about these Black, about the Black women who, um, are also being affected by police brutality as well. And so um, I think the, those are p- partially my thoughts. Um, same sentiment. It was very difficult. I think initially, Yana, when we, when, even when we were just kind of like doing initial research, and I remember having a moment where I was like clicking through and I found like a list of names. And it was not like a huge, it wasn't like, th- like a hundred names. I think it was like 15 names. And every time I scrolled to the next name, my heart got heavier and heavier and heavier. 
because it was just, I was sad. I was sad. It was, and it was very triggering. Yes. Extremely triggering. I was like, Lord, what is going on? You know, it was heavy because these are lives that were being taken. And it was heavy because these names are not known. Right. Names are not being talked about. Their stories aren't being told. And we, and, and like Yana said, we wanted to be able to tell their story, not just the their death or what happened to them, but really wanted to humanize these women. And, you know, unfortunately, that was very hard to find. And even if there was not some sort of quote unquote controversy surrounding them, there wasn't a lot of information out there about mm-hmm. these women as well. And so we just want to be able to give a voice to these women and don't, don't, we, we, we will not be forgotten about. We, we refuse to let black women be forgotten in life and in death. We, it's not going to happen on our watch. We're not going to let it happen. So the, that that's kind of my thoughts. And I thought I, I honestly was going to wait, I think, until after we, but definitely that those are my thoughts right now. Um, and I think we're going to go forward and just share some of the names. Um, we will continue this series. There are more names and we will continue this series. But um, we just have a few names today that we do want to share and just shed some light on yes. on this problem. Yes, So I'll start with Miriam Carey, and I'll share a little bit about um, the events that led up to her final moments. So at 2.13 p.m. on October 3rd, 2013, 10 months before Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson, Missouri, nine months before Eric Garner was choked in Staten Island, a 34-year-old African-American woman drove into a checkpoint in Washington, D.C. Her car, a Nissan Infiniti, had Connecticut license plates and her one-year-old daughter sat in the back. Miriam drove into the checkpoint before realizing that she had mistakenly entered a wrong turn. Secret service officers began hollering at her and she turned her car around when she attempted to drive out of the checkpoint area an off-duty Secret Service officer placed a section of metal fencing in front of her. Fearful of armed officers approaching her vehicle, she sped off and officers struck her five times from behind with her 18-month-old in tow. Miriam Mm -hmm. Iris Carey was born August 12, 1979 in Stamford, Connecticut, and was a dental hygienist licensed to practice in both New York and Connecticut. She was born and raised in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, New York, and she attained an associate's degree in dental hygiene from Hostos Community College with a degree in health nutrition science from Brooklyn College in 2007. According to a family spokesperson, Carrie had previously been hospitalized for postpartum depression as she had been depressed since giving birth to her 18-month-old who was in the car in the care of her that fateful day of her death. Carrie's sister attested that she was not delusional and had been placed on a one-year medicated treatment plan for her postpartum depression. Dr. Stephen Oaken, Carrie's employer for eight years, described Carrie as a non-political person 
who was always happy. On the day of the incident, Carrie was taking her daughter to a doctor's appointment in Connecticut. In the wrongful death suit, Carrie's family cites that she was unfamiliar with the area and mistakenly drove past the first guard post. When she tried to make a U-turn and drive away, a uniformed Secret Service officer threw a bicycle rack at her car. Carrie Mm -hmm. panicked when she stopped near the traffic circle surrounded by officers with their weapons drawn, the suit alleges. On July 10th, 2014, the U.S. Attorney's Office announced that no charges will be filed against the federal officers and agents, stating, after a thorough review of all the evidence, the U.S. Attorney's Office concludes that the evidence was insufficient to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the officers who were involved in the shooting used excessive force or possessed the requisite criminal intent at the time of the events. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Um, her child survived? Her daughter, her baby survived? Yes, she um, was unharmed, um, but was what was this, 2013? Mm-hmm. So she would be what? Well, like About not eight or nine now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. My goodness. Miriam Carey. Miriam Carey. We say her name. We say her name. The young lady that I'll be sharing about, and it will be very, very brief, is Darnisha Harris. Now, um, when I was researching her, there are some conflicting reports regarding her age. Some say she was 16. Some say she was 17. Regardless, she was still, she was, she was a teenager. (laughs) She was a young girl at the at the time of her death. But Darnisha Harris was 16 years old when she was killed on December 2nd, 2012 in Brobridge, Louisiana. Police arrived to the scene of a disturbance at the same time Harris was trying to get away from a fight. Um, in her panic, she got into her car and allegedly hit a police car and a parked car and then a bystander. Police shot her. It is not clear if she was shot while her car was moving, but witnesses say that she was shot with her hands in the air. Family, friends, and community members held a vigil and rallied for justice for Darnisha. Um, And a minister called for an independent investigation and noted that the police could have stopped the car rather than shooting her in the head. Um, and the results of the state's investigation are not yet known. Now, I did, like I said, because I was really trying to piece together a lot of information and um, some additional information just from the law enforcement side is saying, you know, it's unclear at this point whether Harris's car was still moving or not. And at the time of the event, they just wanted to be able to put all the the pieces together. So at the time, the police, state police did not identify the officer who was involved in the shooting. Um, There were several calls that were made to the mayor to unavail. And so there is still a lot of open-ended question regarding this. And I don't want to put out conspiracies or anything, but I will say this that this the the age-old narrative has not changed when it comes to officer-involved shootings that lead to death for Black people. It is, it seems to be the same story over and over and over that um, once investigations have been done, then no one is held accountable. 
Um, and the person whose life was taken had been doing something heinously wrong. And then we come to find out a lot of times that number one, this person was unarmed. They weren't resisting. They were complying. You know what I mean? Like all of this additional information comes out that the quote unquote suspect was, was not in the wrong. And for whatever reason, law enforcement decided to use lethal force, which is sad. And it is sad because a young woman's life was cut short, regardless of what was happening. Right. Um, at the end of the day, rather if any of these individuals right, anything that was criminal, you know, if it, it doesn't justify death. No, never does. Particularly if they weren't you know, they weren't armed. They weren't, they, they weren't posing a personal a threat. threat. Yeah. Like that's yeah. the purpose of how the system is supposed to work is that they're supposed to, you know, be taken into custody and let, you know, the system work out. Well, how it's yeah, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, 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 for one, I don't want to hear any of this, you know, you know, well, they were in the wrong, they shouldn't have did blah, blah, blah. When we have, mm-hmm multiple we've we'll seen multiple cases of non-black individuals being taken to custody who were armed yeah or who had violent threatened or made violent threats toward um law enforcement mm-hmm. and they were um safely and you know taken into custody <sighs> and i and i'm also sad Obviously, I'm sad with any of these cases, but it just makes me sad, too, because I I truly I looked to try to find just information once again to humanize her. What is she like? Does she she hang out with her friends? Was she getting ready to go off to to college or or vocational school? You know what I'm saying? Like what what did she enjoy doing? What were her likes? What were her dislikes? Like, does she you know, I'm sure she she had family. She enjoyed being around family and. There are so many things that we don't know about this young lady. And the sad part is the one thing that we do know is how she died. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I I, don't know. Like, that's what she's remembered for. And unfortunately, a lot of these individuals, I mean, you know, as recently as George Floyd, like he's remembered for his yeah, his death his and death. life. Yeah. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. Yes. So we say her name, Darnisha Harris. Darnisha Harris. <sighs> All right. The last person that we are, I hate to use the word highlighting. <laughs> Man. But we're sharing with you guys today is Melissa Williams. And there was very little that I can find about Melissa. But, you know, mm-hmm. I will share what I could find and piece together on her story. So on the night of November 29th, 2012, Melissa Williams was killed by Cleveland, Ohio police officer, Michael Brillo, along with Timothy Russell. Williams was 30 at the time and Russell was 43 at the time of their deaths. We know very little about the background of Williams beyond her birth date of June 20th, 1982 in Cleveland. But on the night of the fatal shooting, Timothy Russell was driving his 1979 light blue Chevrolet Malibu 
where Melissa Williams was seated in the passenger seat. A plainclothes police officer spotted Russell's car in an area in which they consider was known for drug deals. And the officer checked Russell's license plate, which Mm. uncovered nothing notable. That's key. Yeah. So the officer attempted to pull the car over for a turn signal violation. Russell didn't pull over and it resulted into a police chase. And as Russell sped past the two officers, the officers believed that they heard shots being fired. As it would turn out, there was no firearm found in the vehicle or on either Russell or mm-hmm. Melissa. The sound that they actually heard was the car backfiring. Mm. So police cruisers surrounded Russell's car um, in a school parking lot in East Cleveland and 13 officers fired 137 shots. For what? Park. For what? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I'm, I know you're still reading, but like, why? Russell and Williams were both struck more than 20 times each. The officers who were firing on the car from all sides reported believing that they were being fired by the suspects, but the Justice Department report later confirmed that those shots were being fired by fellow officers. So the officer in particular, one officer in particular, Relo, came under particular criticism after the shooting for his brazen use of force. After his colleague stopped firing, he allegedly climbed on the hood of the car and fired the last shots downward into the windshield. My God. In total, Relo fired 49 shots. In May 2014, yes, in May 2014, two years after the fatal shootings, Brelo was charged with two counts of voluntary manslaughter, but was later acquitted by the Cuyahoga County judge of the charges on May 23rd, 2015. Mm. On January 26, 2016, six Cleveland police officers were fired due to their connection with the car chase. They were identified as Michael Brelo, Wilfredo Diaz, Brian Sabley, Aaron O'Donnell, Michael Farley, and Chris Eric. Investigators said the six police officers' firing was delayed to give time for Brelo's trial to finish. The deadly shooting ultimately resulted in no criminal convictions, even though it led to a federal investigation into the Cleveland Police Department. 63 Cleveland cops were temporarily suspended along with the six cops that were fired. Uh, There are so many. I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish. Um, That was was it. Um, We say her name, Melissa Williams. Yes, Melissa Williams. I remember looking at this story and, and it's crazy even just reading it and then hearing you share it. I'm kind of, I'm not kind of, I'm dumbfounded. Because, and and this is why there has to, mm, I'm not not trying to mince my words, but I don't want to speak foolishly either. 
But this is why there needs to be, and I know a lot of, right now, a lot of people are talking about, you know, defunding or abolishing policing system. Whatever your take is on that particular issue, there has to be a complete reform because the idea that if I happen to be in an area where statistically or whatever, drug deals, crime happens to be higher in an area, if I if you see me, then I am automatically assumed to be some sort of threat, right? Or I am automatic, automatically assumed to be up to no good. First and foremost, that's a problem. And so because of my assumption and the power that I hold wearing the badge, then I say, hmm, well, let's find out if this person that just happens to be riding along, doing whatever, minding their business, I'm going to run their plates and you're not finding anything. Mm, no, mm-mm. I want to catch somebody today. So I'm just going to pull him over for failure to sig- signal. Mm-hmm. And, and I like what? And if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong. I remember seeing this somewhere else and it kind of lined up with the whole where you're talking about like there were 63 officers that eventually were uh, were temporarily suspended that during the car chase, there were up to 62 cars. Yeah. Like, why? For what? For what? That makes no sense to me. I think the most heinous, though, all of it, but when when he, all the officers stopped firing and one officer, the individuality that he is, yes, on top of the car, yeah, point his gun directly point blank. in the hood of the car and fires a shot. That's that's not even cool for someone who did do a heinous crime. Exactly. I'm sorry. Exactly. 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 It's not. That was the most inhumane. <sighs> so, um, I think we are going to kind of draw things to a close here because y'all, this is not something that's it is this is not easy to talk about. This is not easy to relive in a way. It's very triggering, breaking. It's hard. It's very hard. Um, I really don't have the words to offer. What's sad is that you shouldn't be the one to offer words. Yeah. But the main thing here, though, and I want to be very clear, because some people try to minch and bend what this movement is about. And to make this a Blacks Against Police award mm-hmm. type thing. But really, honestly, it's just about people being human and free. Yeah. I mean, and, and to have the same liberties as everyone. This is, it's hard constantly driving the narrative that when we say Black Lives Matter, it means that no other lives matter. Mm-hmm. That is not what this means. No. Not at all. We just want Black lives to be humanized too, just like That's, other lives. That's that. That is it. And I saw a clip. I think Will Smith or somebody had posted of comedian Michael Che, and you know he was he was doing a set, and he was talking about about just this very thing, just the controversy surrounding Black Lives Matter. And he said, literally, we we are asking for the bare minimum 
for our life to matter. You know what I'm saying? Like just to say that black lives matter, not that black lives are superior, that black lives are king, that that black lives rule. No, that just to, to, to exist, to even matter. That's it. People tend to care more about a dog getting shot in the street. Imagine being born fighting for your life the moment you're born. Mm-hmm. I don't think people really understand the brevity of just that. And I'm going to make this statement. I'm not going to really hamper on it any longer, but. Do say what you say, say what you need to say. For those who holler Blue Lives Matter as a direct response to people saying Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. I don't know how deep that cuts because we can't take off this Black skin. Mm -hmm. Speak true. Speak true. Let the people know. And when you do that as a way to incite your... You're, you're basically, you know, driving underhandedly racist comment when you it's, say that as a direct reason. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is no dividing line. When we no. include to be humanized, that is for every one of us, including yes. those behind the badge, especially yes. those that do the right thing. Because, you know, this is not, we're not here, our stance is not to bash police, but we are calling out the ones that are not rightfully standing behind the badge that they so willfully sworn to protect Protect and serve. serve. Yeah. (laughs) So there is no line, I mean, there is no gray area here. It's either right or wrong. If you believe, even if you're one of those people who really, truly believes all lives matter, then that includes the black lives. So you should be outraged right now. Absolutely. There's so much more I could say. I I won't go into because I, you know, y'all right now, I'm really, I'm just tired. I I am tired, yo. I'm tired. Terry, you can say your final words. I have nothing else to say. But um, we will always and forever say her name and melanate on that, guys. We'll talk to y'all later. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed our chat today. Keep the conversation going by heading to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leaving us a review. Have a story of your own to share? Email us at info at melanatedconversations.com or connect with us on social media at Melanated Conversations. Till next time, keep raising your voice. voice.